This guy can talk, but he also loves to listen. This is The Golden Mean with Michael Golden. So the person that I have on the program today, I would describe with two words, fierce and formidable. Alyssa Rapp is the author of Leadership and Life Hacks. And by the way, the tagline, I love this. I love this tagline for this book. Quote, life is complicated. Can you hack it? That is the greatest plan words. I just, I'm sorry, before I forget, um, I just want to tell you a little bit about Alyssa. She's founder and CEO of Bottle Notes. And this was a, a leading interactive media company in the U.S. wine space um, and craft beer and, and spirits and, and so forth. And uh, I think that was for about 15 years, a, a, a huge success. She's now CEO of Surgical Solutions, which is based in Chicagoland. She's from Chicago, came back a couple years ago. Um, and right away has been named one of Crane Chicago's most notable women in healthcare. She is a lecturer in management at Stanford University's Graduate School of Business, her alma mater. That's where she went to um, graduate school. And she's also an adjunct professor in entrepreneurship and the University of Chicago Booth Business School. I don't usually read bios, but I I, I don't want to I don't want to short uh, sh- short shrift my friend here. She also has a husband, Hal Morris, former World Series champion baseball player, and uh, two beautiful kids, Audrey and Henriette, and I want to hear about them too. Um, well, welcome. I know that was a long long intro here, Alyssa, but I had to do it. Thank you for coming on and, and talking about the book and all, all, all other kinds of things today. I appreciate it. Oh, Michael, I'm honored that you asked me. I'm an honored to be in such illustrious company <laughs> of people who've been on your podcast, and it's always a treat to get to talk to you. And in this era of COVID, I'm I'm just sorry it's not in person, but glad we get to talk nonetheless. <laughs> I was going to say, I, I, I was going to say, I'll unofficially call this coronavirus episode one. I have a feeling mm-hmm. I've got four more set up this week and I don't usually do them at this kind of uh, uh, pace. Uh, but I think everybody's taking advantage of the time and things that they enjoy and things that uh, they don't have as much time for usually if they're running around. And so I've got four fabulous guests this week uh, and you are number one on the list. So let, let, let me start. I want to go ask you a question about your business experience and some of that success. But let's start with with life hacks. What was the inspiration for this? I think it was when you were getting ready for your new role in Chicago at Surgical Solutions. But talk about the genesis of the book and and start with also that overarching theme of what people can get out of it from the read. So, you know, it's a it's Given your political acumen and expertise, I will use a political metaphor to begin. There's an office saying in U.S. politics that women don't run for office unless they're asked (laughs) to do so. And I was not looking to write this book at this time, but Forbes Books came to me and genuinely asked me to do so. But I had written two articles for Forbes.com, one on the culture as a competitive advantage in business and one on the secret to work-life balance as an entrepreneur being athletics. And those articles had done well and caught the attention of Forbes Books, which is a new imprint by Forbes that only produces books from CEOs. And so they invited me to their publishing office in Charleston to have a conversation about what the arc of the story would be. And I was intrigued, so I joined them. And there was a terrific editor, uh, a wonderful woman whom I think publicly in the book, Brie Barton, with whom I'm still close. Maybe I'll work on Hacks 2 with her. But she, um, she and I mapped out an arc of the story that was the table of, that is the table of contents for leadership and life hacks. And it's really two-thirds business life experience told chronologically with those hacks or life lessons or shortcuts, workarounds, workthroughs listed up front in the beginning of each chapter, and then one-third life hacks. So 
you know, balancing that juggling act of mom, wife, entrepreneur, and executive. So I love how you say, I, I've, I've read where you said, don't let perfection get in the way of progress. And end quote. And that seems like sort of a, a, a ax, you know, that it's axiomatic. But you've experienced this. Talk about what you wrote about in the book and how people can apply that to anything that they're doing in their daily life where they where they want to have a result, whether it's finding a parking space or starting a business. Um, I think that don't not letting perfectionism be the death of progress is quite possibly my favorite truism of all time. Listen, perfect doesn't exist, and perfect certainly doesn't, and you know this, Michael, through all of your extraordinary consulting, advisory, speaking, writing, you know, teaching, work, podcasting, that you do, perfection doesn't exist. It's just illusory. So instead, what's the goal? What's the mission? What's the vision? What's the purpose? And it's as simple as my daughter now, seven, going for a second day of e-learning in light of the COVID crisis getting frustrated because she didn't get a hundred out of a hundred on the first two, you know, ST math intervals and just saying, it's not about perfect. It's about learning and adapting. I think that I've seen that with people on the stock, you know, family members or friends who are thinking about the stock market. Is this the bottom? Is this the bottom? Do I invest now? Perfect isn't the goal. Progress is. So at some point with imperfect information, one has to be self-confident enough to take a chance to take a leap expecting that it isn't going to always be perfect. Sometimes it will be will exceed expectations, or meet or exceed them, and sometimes it won't. But the value and valor is in taking the leap with everything you've got, total commitment, and going for it. And the outcome is the outcome. But if you get, and hell is totally, you know, an awesome you know, role model in this as well. If you leave it all on the field and you take a swing and you take your best shot, at some level that's all you can, can do. You can control your effort. So stop trying to control the outcome. Stop trying to control for perfection and simply control for effort. That's the one thing we can all control in our lives, even today. You, you know, it's funny. I was playing with a, a professional athlete at golf not too long ago, and he said the expression, you know, somebody hit a terrible shot, probably me. And he said, <laughs> he, he, he said, forget your last at bat. And I was like, oh, my God, that just, like, clicked in my head. Now, I'm sure there are, you know, baseball players, the other side of that is, well, you better remember what what pitch they threw and what you did right or wrong, and, you know, there's things to learn from every experience. But obviously the gist of what he was saying is do not let past failures get in your way and certainly get in your head so that you can't even put your best foot forward. So I, I, love, all, I love all that stuff that you just said. Um, let me trace back a, a, a minute on business because I think you have a great story to tell, and then we'll, we'll bring it back to the, to the book directly. Um, another friend of mine who's having some struggle right now finding her own path, if you will, um, and I've struggled with that. I, I, I don't know many people who haven't at, <laughs> at our, at our right. age. Um, but I was kind of, you know, saying to her, and, and this is one of those, you know, physician heal thyself, <laughs> you know. Um, yep. but, but I was saying to her, you know, I, I think the best you can do right now is to be open and curious and learning about all kinds of things that, that you're either interested in or you already know you have an affinity for. And I think that sometimes that's the way things come to you and then become your passion. So having given, I given that... I completely agree. So yeah, so ha, well, you lived it. And I, having given that long wind-up, talk about where you were when you started Bottle Notes in, I don't know, the year 2000 and, and the genesis of that company. Because I think it's a great, I think it's a great lesson for folks. Well, you're so kind. So I was a student at Stanford Business School with a passion for entrepreneurship 
and a passion for wine. And I thought it would be fun to continue to pursue that passion by being a part of a wine club of, you know, enterprising MBAs. And I was struck a couple of things when I got into that wine club and then became a leader of it, that our millennial generation peers were really thirsty for knowledge. And thir- I'm at, the, I'm a cusper, right? I'm at the, the very beginning of missing by technically six months. I actually don't even think of myself as a millennial, but most of my peers were, and I guess we were on the, on the edge, but the next generation wine enthusiast was fundamentally a different buyer. Now a decade and a half later, I've studied it and teach it and know this factually. But at the time, the intuition was even right, which was that 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 wine buyer, the next generation wine enthusiast, isn't interested in scores from Robert Parker. They're not interested in, you know, with all due respect, with the braggadocious dead print media was suggesting was good or bad. What they really were looking to for recommendations is what their friends recommended or going directly to the source from brands. Yeah. And that, that intuition in 05 was relatively ahead of its time only because Facebook was in nascent, et cetera, et cetera. And so we... I then started to put the pieces together on what would be a business plan for a Netflix for wine concept and its 1.0 version where we would send people wine tailored to their personal taste using patent pending matching technology and we would have a supply chain management firm hold all the inventory on its shelf so we were a virtual um, virtual inventory model and didn't have to tie up any CapEx and inventory or even licensing. We were a third-party marketer of wine matching supply and demand and using technology and, and innovation to do so and that was clever and it was cool and raised a couple million of seed funding and ran in it hard for three years. And then the world changed and it changed for two reasons in 08. First is obvious to all of us, which is the financial crisis of 08 mirroring reflective of today in some ways. But even prior to that point, the Amazon at the time was getting pretty serious about entering the wine world and they had made overtures to invest heavily in our same supply chain management firm. We were talking to them about potential strategic outcomes and partnerships, and they um, they got serious about entering the space. And all the distributors who were the who were the legacy lob- lobbying power got very scared and weren't looking at the data and weren't looking at the U.S. wine industry as a go- growing pie, which it was then and was actually up until last year. They were looking at it as a fixed pie, and either Amazon was going to sell it or they were going to sell it to a restaurant. And while that wasn't true or consistent with consumer behavior, they were successful in lobbying the California Alcohol Bureau of Control to, at that time, do what's called an about-face policy reversal and put out an industry advisory saying third-party marketing firms are now banned. And even though there was no case law or anything else you know, to, to merit that purely bad lobbying advice, they succeeded and rendered our business model pretty much overnight obsolete. And I wrote a chapter on the book in the book, Leadership and Life Hacks, about this called Pivot Versus Quit. And it's probably one of my favorite chapters in there. And I think that the the real soul-searching I had to do in that moment, now this is early 08, this is not even the back half of 08, was, you know, we've created this ecosystem of next-generation wine enthusiasts who are eager to learn about wine from us and get educated and entertained about their taste. And then at that time, the business model was to make money when those consumers chose to transact with us in a subscription context. Well, what if we inverted the model and we decided to think about that same role as an education and entertainment platform, but instead of making money when consumers transacted with us, what if we inverted the model, thought of ourselves as a media company, and had our email newsletter called Bottle News, which became the Daily Sip and then the Weekly Pint and then um, and so forth. What if we thought of ourselves as a, a digital media company that produced email newsletter content, obviously mobile 
content and then large-scale interactive events, and brands could pay us for access to our audience through those platforms instead, and then they would keep any of the upside of transactions that they generated. And that pivot was one that I got excited about, as strange as it was. It was it was a good run. It was a decade. It was long. It was hard. It was full of roller coaster rides and undulations, some peaks, some troughs. But I, I learned a tremendous amount. And and from a personal note, I also learned that I love to to run companies. And so I then you know while now I'm running a much larger private equity back company in a very different category, I think the best insight I got from that was a deep appreciation for entrepreneurship and technology development in in the 21st century, as well as how hard it is, how even with my grit and my energy, tenacity, and, and network, it's still really hard to do. And my deepest admiration is for entrepreneurs of this country. It's, 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 it's the engine of our economy. So it's a great business success story more than once. And also you, you've done private equity work in between the, the two CEO roles. And so you know a ton about that business as well. I, let's bring it back to, to – daily life, your daily life, and the concept of balance. The, the name of this podcast is The Golden Mean and Notwithstanding My Last Name. It's a, The reason mm-hmm. is because it's a, it's a principle about staying between the extremes, uh, finding a middle track and, and achieving balance. It's a philosophical principle. It goes back centuries. Um, and I, but I think that it's so relevant, cer- certainly in my life and <laughs> what I've experienced, especially in the last several years, but mm-hmm. I think most people, they're looking for meaning, purpose, and balance. And I think these things are real, obviously interrelated. So, you know, I look at that photo on the book, um, Leadership and Life Hacks by Alyssa J. Rapp. I look at that cover of you and your two beautiful children. Um, and and obviously, I've seen plenty of pictures of all four of you. I, I, I Hal, you, you just have this incredible family, and now you're back home. You were after making this great success out in California on your own uh, through sheer force of will, even more than brain power. I, I would, I, I, I would. I, I think it was far more force of will than 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 brain. Yeah, no you know, about and that. obviously, <laughs> you, you know that you're she, Alyssa's whip smart. It's a compliment about you know achievement and accomplishing something when you set a goal. But bringing that back now to this beautiful family you have in the suburbs of Chicago, uh, and balancing that with this huge role you have in a new in a, a two year old CEO position in a very hyper uh, a business full a uh, uh, business sector whatever you want to call it in healthcare it's a double bottom line business right and it's full of change exactly how do, how do you balance what are the life hacks that that help you balance all of this stuff day to day and and make your life what you want it to be. So the one that I think is probably the most powerful in the book and one that I really continually remind myself of is this notion of episodic versus daily balance. Yeah. And I don't think that if I woke up every day thinking I had to be the perfect wife, the perfect mother, the perfect CEO, the perfect daughter, perfect civic activist, the perfect board member, the perfect lecturer in management, et cetera, et cetera, that I, I, I don't know if I would function because then I'd be paralyzed by a sense of both inadequacy and impossibility. But I, I, I don't feel that way. I say to myself, I feel proud and knock on wood, God willing, to be healthy at this moment in time. As is my family, I feel energized and excited about uh, the impact and and change that I hope to be able to bring into the organizations and including our family that I for which I provide. And I I say to myself, I try to nail two stakeholders a day. And I've gotten flack for that by the way. It's a pretty bold statement, particularly from a working mom. 
but I'm really honest with myself at least. And what does that mean? That doesn't mean I like ignore Hal or I ignore my children, but that means there are days, especially when the world hadn't quite hit this COVID crisis and I was traveling a ton at least two days a week. You know, there are days where I'm home and I try to be a great CEO and a great mom, like really showed up for my kid this morning and helping her get set up with day two of e-learning before I headed into our office, which by the way is technically closed, but only two of us are here. So it's, and we're socially distanced. Um, but I also try to be a great wife and a great CEO some days. And, or I try to be a great wife and a great mom. Or some days if I'm traveling for work, I'm going to try to be a great CEO and a great lecturer. Or I'm going to try to be, you know, if there have been a week where Hal had been on the road, which is often the case during spring training under normal circumstances for weeks on end, I might have a lot of opportunity to be a great CEO and a great mom for several days in a row. And then he'll say, hey, we really need to go to this wedding for a colleague of mine in Boston for 12 hours. And I have to, like, not show up for my kids for 12 hours, but show up for my spouse. I mean, I just try to nail two stakeholders a day and do those things well and not feel defeated or despondent that I can't do more for more people. And sometimes you end up with doing well by two and a half, and sometimes it ends up one and a half. But I really try to stay focused on that so that balance can be achieved and helping you know, satisfy all stakeholders over several days or a week. Instead of thinking of it having to be achieved in one day, it's infinitely more achievable. And then above and beyond all else, as incredibly selfish as it sounds, I believe firmly in the notion of putting your own oxygen mask on first. And that means taking care of me. That means for me, Alyssa Rapp, to survive with all the responsibilities I have, I need 45 minutes, preferably 90, by the way, but in the bare minimum, 45 minutes or 60 to myself every day to do something for me. For me, that's working out because that's my great love and passion. Other people I know and with whom I'm close, it could be walking their dog. It could be writing in their journal. It could be meditation. I'm not here to prescribe what that one thing is for you. But doing that thing for me every day, unapologetically guilt-free, to know that I'm putting my ma- oxygen mask on first for that one hour so I can spend the other 23 giving it to other people, that, that I'm pretty zealous about. And I, because if, if you don't, you're just, you start and end every day depleted, and that, that doesn't work. So that, those are my two big life hacks, if you will, Michael. You know, episodic, seeking episodic versus daily balance and put your own oxygen mask on first. I, I, I think it's great advice. It's really interesting advice. Like you said, you, it's interesting how you said that some people have given you some uh, flack for it because it's a different it's a different way of thinking about it, I think, than most people think about it. And, and actually, I, I did know that that was in the book before you answered the question. I, I, uh, and when I saw it uh, myself, I thought, this, this is like this is like written for you because I, I often try to do too many things at once. Um, and that's sort of my personality. And I, and I am conscious of the fact that I think it dilutes from being excellent at one or two things. Um, so it's, it takes some discipline too, depending on your personality. Um, it does. And in that sense, you know, one of the other really practical life advice pieces that I use is I schedule everything. I mean, absolutely everything to the 15 minutes. <laughs> Me too. And then, and that way, of course, right, you know, then you're maximizing your time and you're maximizing how it's being spent. And that means that if I, and there, there's some things that are sacred, like Audrey had to FaceTime with her teacher for the first time today during e-learning. I wanted to be there for that. So I took two calls from home and then stayed so I could do on that, do that with her. That was important to me. There are things that I won't miss, right, for anything. That doesn't mean that work always trumps all. It doesn't. But it also means that if you're scheduling everything, you can theoretically carve out time for those activities you believe to be most important. And as long as you're committed to those carve-outs, then everyone else around you will be. It's not – it's not – Yeah. it's your schedule, right? So two more questions, and this one 
I'm going to ask you a question that it's weird. It's about women in business. Women are so success. First of all, (laughs) when I'm in a leadership position, I hire women so much more than men. It's not even close. And I I do too, by the way. (laughs) Yeah, I I believe they are. It doesn't mean there aren't great men on my team. There are, and I adore them, but it's not. I've, I've, I've over, I have over-indexed on women myself. Right. And and by the way, this is not a pander. They're just better. Women is a better gender, especially when it comes to getting things done and just not seeking attention and just getting, you know, uh, uh, working with people. I, I, I just think it's no contest. And obviously, we, you know, as far as women have come, women like you, women like those in the Congress, women who are working three jobs and supporting a family and are the anchors of their families. It, it, it's you, it, There's still so many challenges that women have that men don't. It, it's, just a, it's, just, it's just a fact. Um, so that's why I still ask this question, even though it makes me sad that I have to. All the uh, women entrepreneurs out there, especially y- young women who have ideas and they want to bust it out after college or, or you know, they're, they're a little reluctant to just because of our culture as much as it has changed. What, do you, what specific advice do you give uh, woman to woman what, having had all of your success and experiences and failures too? Yeah, plenty of both. Um, trust me. Uh, I... I think mentorship really matters. It's so cliche, but it's so true. I know you and I share a close friend in Christy Hefner, and she's a tremendous mentor of mine. I write about her in the book, and she's interviewed me a couple times on the circuit, the book tour circuit, and she's just awesome. And she, she's someone who not only walks the walk. I mean, first of all, as human beings go, to have been the longest tenured public company female CEO for 20-plus years and, and to have been in the business of selling the sexual revolution and in spite of all of those things, to never have been sued for for discrimination <laughs> at her company. I mean, in her under her tenure, wow, she's unbelievable. Her harassment, she's amazing. But, and, but she and yeah. sorry to interrupt. And to do this, stepping into the shoes of not only a legend but a fa- right. of your father, where you have you have to worry about every single employee saying that's why you got the job, regardless of merit. Correct. Christy Hefner Correct. is a force of nature. She's amazing. She is absolutely amazing. And so given that I can count myself as one of the privileged folks to call her a mentor, I am really zealous about making it easy for her to coach and guide me, showing up for lunch, which is our typical way of connecting over every three or four months at her chosen place at her chosen time and showing up <laughs> to make it easy when she gives me life advice, circle back with her, let her know how the advice impacted me yeah. and how I, you know, whether I took it or didn't doing what you say you're going to do, circling back. So the relationship is truly a relationship and not transactional. So that when I actually do need help in a favor, like, hi, Christy, could you please host the, you know, the pre-press launch of the book at your home? It's not, it's an ask. It's definitely an ask, but it's, it's less of an imposition. And similarly, when I'm mentoring others, it's make it easy for me. You want five introductions, send me five individual emails with the cover sheets already produced and your CV enclosed. You want you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so, you know, follow up, keep in touch with how you're doing every six months. So I know what's up. So when you do need the grad school recommendation letter, job referral, personal reference for anything, I'm, I'm up to speed. It doesn't feel transactional. I'm, you know, I'm truly invested in the relationship. That to me is get a mentor and be a mentor or probably, and, and then do it well, or probably the best advice I can give. And then I walk the walk, right? I didn't join the surgical solutions board. And initially it was going to be a board of all men. And then when I was joining a CEO, I said, I'd feel 
strongly you need to add a woman to the board and oh by the way here's a great candidate and oh by the way you've already worked with her and so have I and I think she's awesome <laughs> and I think you should add her as you as I join and if it's not her I deeply appreciate slash expect you to appoint another woman if not her and they appointed you know Sherilyn Muir my recommendation because she's tremendous as well but the point is is that you have to walk the walk right you have to walk the walk um, before I ask my last question, I want to make sure to tell people where they can find you and find the book. Oh, sure. So I am at alyssarap.com, A-L-Y-S-S-A-R-A-P-P.com. The book is, as always, on Amazon, and I uh, appreciate very much people's support. And it's the audio book, the Kindle, or the print book, all there. And, uh, and thank you again, Michael, you're a, a treasure and an old friend, the best kind. <laughs> and I am truly honored and grateful to have joined you on this uh, impressive podcast. It's my pleasure. Actually, I, I, I didn't mean to jump the gun. I've got one more question. I wanted to make sure no. I didn't forget to have that information out there. And by the way, I want to tell folks, uh, I, this is almost exactly April 15th will be the um, five year anniversary of releasing my book, Unlock Congress. I'm not promoting it, but it, we did it on tax day as a as a there was a reason. So it's smart. because it mm-hmm. was about our tax dollars being squandered because of a defective legislative branch in the United States. Um, the re- only reason I bring up my book is that I, I, Alyssa's marketing for this book has been. If you want to talk about a business person who takes what they know about business and then applies it to a whole, you know, uh, yes, you wrote a book before, but that, you know, that this is social media changes, you know, she's just on a speaking tour that never ends in a, in a great way. And I, she, she's ubiquitous on social media and, and people are having her on programs and local news and national news. And I, I'm as somebody who, who gets a lot of compliments from people saying, God, you really got a lot of mileage out of that book. Who was your publisher? I'm like me, I, I had a publisher, but right. I did all the media. Right. And by the way, I know you had Forbes, you have a publisher, but also you got to do a lot of this on your own in this fragmented media universe. So people, AlyssaRap.com, um, the, uh, um, the, and once again, uh, it's Leadership and Life Hacks. That's the name of the book. Um, and I want to ask you one more question. I, I, I want to, it's a little bit gooey here, but it's your fault. And I'm going to quote you uh, 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 directly. It's about writing love letters, the practice of writing oh, love yeah. letters. And you say, quote, it doesn't cost you anything but time and a little bit of vulnerability. Now talk about uh, uh, specifically the, these these love letters that you write to who and, and the why and what you get out of it. So the reason I write love letters to Hal is because I think it's important to reaffirm your feelings for someone, including your spouse, on a relatively frequent basis, whether it's Valentine's Day or a birthday or whatnot. Um, it, again, as I said before, and you already quoted, it doesn't cost you anything except a little bit of vulnerability, and it's an important reminder. I mean, I'm I'm stopping short of saying, you know, renew your vows every year, but this notion of really remember why you chose this person or a person in your life and, and put that out there on paper, I think really is lovely to do for you. And it's also obviously lovely to receive. And then I said to myself in the last couple of years, as I had to travel a fair amount with kids, little girls at home, never tried, never make it more than one night a week is always my goal. But, you know, I still wanted to leave them with something sweet. And so writing little notes and putting them in their lunches or putting them by their breakfast table if I had to take a 6 a.m. flight, just letting them know I love them and miss them and something special about them, it, it, it doesn't cost you anything except time. And again, a little bit of vulnerability. But the impact of that love is really, I think, it's lovely on the other side. So I find it easier to give of that way than to receive. But I do think that it's a really wonderful thing to both give and get. Uh, you know, when I saw that you um – 
when I read that quote from you and that it was one of one of the life hacks, um, it, you know, it was eye opening for me uh, about you, because even though we're friends, you know, the miles and years separate us in a lot of ways. And, you know, even your friends, unless they're childhood friends, you don't always know them as well as you think you, you know, you, mm-hmm. you and, uh, like I said, in the beginning, good, good place to make this full circle. Um, I know you as a, a fierce and formidable person in the most complimentary way I can express. Um, that's so and, kind. And, well, and, and also that's, that is, that is what you project and it's part of your success. It's part of your strength. It's part of your steel, but at the same time, it's wonderful to hear f- f- friends, you know, who have this other side or everybody has another side, but in express how they express it in their personal lives. I think the, the things I've gotten the most response um, about when I write are the things that are most personal or when I get inside a story where people can tell it's personal to me, like segregation mm-hmm. in the city or anti-Semitism or whatever. Uh, and I just think that uh, it's just a lovely sentiment. And I also think back to the book, um, it has practical it has practical return on investment. So it's a wonderful place to leave it. Alyssa, uh, uh, I, I, I love you. I'm so proud of you. I'm so Much impressed love with back you. At you. You're so kind. I'm sorry I don't get to see you soon. But as soon as the airlift bans, I look for in the social distancing, we will grab a bite to eat and we'll catch up because it's long overdue. Absolutely. Coronavirus episode one is in the books. Alyssa Rapp. <laughs> the book is Life Hack, Leadership and Life Hacks. Um, and it's, it's just gotten great reviews. Um, all you have to do is Google Alyssa Rapp or Life Hacks and you'll find it immediately. I highly recommend it. Um, and I really appreciate everybody joining us on The Golden Me. Talk to you all real soon.